Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. It is my joy and honor to welcome Wayne and Trish Sunderman as Wayne comes to preach the word with us this morning. Wayne, as you come up, I'm going to just describe Wayne. Uh, Wayne and Trish, they uh, launched campus ministry at the University of UKZN, Westville, all the way from Durban. They've done amazing things there. And now they lead every nation, Durban. Yeah. Come on. They've become dear friends of ours uh, from time to time when we're in Durban and we try to go to their house. We try to meet them, have coffee with them. And they are storing our son's surfboard, which we believe in miracles. A boy from Joburg has got a surfboard. Uh, I mentioned that Wayne and Trish, they also surfers. They enjoy surfing. Uh, But the one important thing I want to say about them is they're so passionate about the gospel, so passionate to preach the gospel. I've seen them lay everything down for the sake of the gospel. Wayne will introduce the rest of his family. Let's give him another round of applause. Thank you, Sly. Come on, Chorberg. Yeah. Hey, I don't like that, that picture of us there. It said guest speaker. I'm not a guest here, all right? Like... We are family. This is my church, all right? (laughs) Good to see you guys, man. San Bonani, greetings from Durban. Where are the Durbanites in the house? Meryl in worship, come on. Wow, I feel like I'm just at home here. Hey, watching you up here. This girl, man, she's a blessing. Let me tell you something. I remember her coming to the Lord on Westville campus. I'm going to say something about you just for a moment. We had, a, we had an office on that campus, and I know she doesn't want me to say this. She doesn't want me to say this. But, and we had like this prayer room, and uh, one day I rocked up there, and she was on her hands and knees cleaning the prayer room. Wow. Nobody asked her. Nobody said anything. That woman was in there cleaning that prayer room on her hands and knees, just doing the floor. And I was just like, wow, what is this? Someone who loves the Lord's house. Meryl, bless you, girl. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, let me introduce my family to you. Well, my wife is here in person. So uh, she's better than any picture. She's not AI. She's real. <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh, and these are my two very handsome teenage boys, Caleb and Daniel, age 17 and 15. Um, we do reverse labola because they're so good looking, just, just so you know. <laughs> we can arrange after the service, just come talk to me. We open to multicultural, we want interesting looking grandkids, just so you know, okay. <laughs> but uh, we're the parents with teenagers this morning. Come on, where are you guys? Hey, I feel you. God bless you. May He strengthen you. <laughs> No, really, guys, what a joy to be here, and I bring you greetings from your family in Durban. Uh, Today, I get the amazing honor of kicking off your DNA series. Guys, you're just about to start such a powerful 10-week series where you're going to be unpacking the values of who we are as a spiritual family. 
And I want to encourage you that as you go through the next 10 weeks, remember that the next 10 weeks is not about like the church putting up its vision and its values. You are the church. You are the church. So when the church says, these are our values, it's saying, this is my values. This is who I am. And if you haven't made that shift already to see yourself as the church, I want to encourage you in the next 10 weeks, let these words just minister into you and shape you into who God has called us to be as a spiritual family. So I have the awesome job of kicking it off. And today we're going to be talking about the value of spirit empowered. Oh yeah, come on. It's going to be good. My job this morning is actually just to whet your appetite for what a Spirit-empowered church can look like. My hope is to stir in you this morning a hunger for the Holy Spirit that is going to propel you into this week of prayer and fasting and consecration. Uh -huh, you saw the notice? We're going, yeah? Amen? Are we a church that prays? Come on, this week is prayer, consecration, and fasting. And I'm hoping that this message today will help you settle in your identity as an intercessor, as someone who's called to step into the gap and raise holy hands and see God move powerfully on our behalf. So let's get into it. This morning, I want to start with a story. How many of you like stories? Come on. So we're going to start with a story about revival in South America. So I want you to travel with me across the Atlantic Ocean. We're going to the beautiful continent of South America and to the country of Argentina, the World Cup winning, the greatest of all time, Lionel Messi. Amen. <laughs> Some people are like, I don't know. We can have church splits when we talk about soccer, but we're not going to have that today. Amen? So anyway, this beautiful nation of Argentina, and I want you to travel with me to the city of Mendoza. Can you look at somebody and say Mendoza? Mendoza. And the other person next to you say Argentina, Mendoza. All right. So I want you to remember that name. Okay. We're going to come back to Mendoza in a minute. So, <laughs> oh, not that one. <laughs> anyway, Mendoza, Argentina. So we're there, and I want you to know that in the last 70 years, Argentina has experienced revival after revival. God has been moving in that nation in just the most incredible and beautiful ways. Just to give you an idea, there's a church in Buenos Aires led by Hector Gimenez, a church of, I think it's a 2,500-seater church, but they have eight services... Not on a Sunday only, but on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Eight services every week. It's packed to capacity. Signs, wonders, and miracles coming out of that church. The pastor of that church actually preaches five of those messages every single day. And every single one is a different sermon. <laughs> next level. Next level. Incredible stuff happening there, and not only in, in that church and in Buenos Aires, but all around the country. But I want you to know that stuff like that doesn't just happen. It's not just in jail. Like, wow, that just happened. If you rewind the clock, what you will find 70 years before the 1950s, you'll find that Argentina was a nation that was dry, hard, resistant to the gospel. 
I mean, it was steeped in Roman Catholicism, that, but like a staunch Roman Catholicism that was resistant to any sort of Protestant move. The government sanctioned the church, and therefore Protestant churches and missionaries were not even allowed in the nation. They weren't allowed buildings. They weren't allowed to be registered. They weren't allowed any sort of identity. And not only that, underneath all of that facade of religion, there was this in the people, there was the spiritism and occultism that was rife to the point when, when people were sick, they wouldn't even go see a doctor. They would go and see the witch doctor because at the end of every street, there was like a witch doctor, like a sangoma who would be able to do like these incantations and so amulets, charms, all these things were rife in this nation, very dry, resistant ground. And into that nation, God called Edward Miller and his wife as missionaries. And they went to the city of? Just checking. And they went to take over the massive church of only eight people. How incredible is that? He came like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. He's like, man, we're going to see people get saved. You know, like these campus pastors are. You know, like, you know, like, neo-inverts. You know, like, just... Coming out there, you know, with all of it. And, and he, they preached and they missioned and they went everywhere and they, their church shrank. It was, I mean, it was so dry. It was so tough. And they just thought, you know, let's give up. But before they gave up, he had the idea, hey, maybe we should just pray first. <laughs> That's a good idea. Hey, if you are thinking of giving up, why don't you pray first? You feel like it's not working. You feel like you're hitting a dead end, a brick wall in front of you. Hey, why don't you, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? So he starts praying and God speaks to him and says, Edward, I would like you to give me eight hours a day. So he's like, yes, Lord. And he starts praying for eight hours a day. And he prays every single day. And he goes on for about two months, and it was dry, and it was hard, and it was an exercise in perseverance and persistence and dedication and devotion and all of that, all those things that make a disciple, yeah? And after two months, he had this profound encounter with the living God that literally transformed him. There was a breakthrough in the Spirit. And he pressed on every single day thereafter for like another month and a half. And after a month and a half, the Lord spoke to him and said, revival is coming to Argentina. Gather people and begin to pray. And so he gathered the crowd of three people that he had. And they got together and they began to pray. And he said, we're going to pray from 8 p.m. till midnight. And if you're not willing to stay for the whole time, don't come. Uh-huh. Disciples, people. Yeah? Come on, let's not fall into this Western softy Christianity that's just useless. It's powerless. When the church says wake up prayer and fasting, like everyone should be there. Like, come on. Like, what else, man? So, so they start praying. And it's like after a few nights, the one woman just feels like she needs to slam her fist down on the table. So led by the Spirit, she does that on the table. And as she does that, a rushing wind fills the room in which they gathered. A mighty rushing wind. They get filled with glory. And the power of the Holy Spirit breaks out like it broke out in Acts chapter 2. And people started pouring into the church. 
woken up in the night, pouring in, just coming, coming from all over. All of a sudden, signs, wonders and miracles get breaking out. Congregants in the church go and pray for people who are dead and raise them back to life. People who are lame start walking again. The blind start seeing. There's this incredible Holy Spirit move and thousands, the church doubles, triples, quadruples, thousands start coming to Jesus as a result of that. And at the same time, there's this evangelist called Tommy Hicks who's in the US and he has this vision one day in prayer and he sees the, na- the, the continent of South America before him and he just sees these golden harvest fields all over. And in the harvest, these wheat fields, gold, turned into people who were waving. And they were saying, come over here, Brother Hicks. Come over here. You know, like Paul got that Macedonian call that opened the gospel into Europe. This was like a Macedonian call. And he was like, I'm going. And, he, and he, God told him to go to Argentina. So he goes, he's flying in the plane to Argentina. And while he's on the plane, he's praying. And God gives him the name Peron. He's like, Peron, Peron, Peron. What is that? Calls the air hostess. Says, Sorry, do you know anybody called Peron, and she says, well, actually, our president is Jean Peron, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I knew that, (laughs) I'm just kidding, it's good to know the president of the nation you're traveling to, you know, so anyway, he knew, he knew that God was saying, I want you to meet with the president, and while he's traveling, God says to him, I want a stadium, go for a stadium, so he's like, okay. He lands on the ground. The people receive him, um, the pastors that were there. And he, and he says, guys, I want to meet with the president and I want a stadium. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, let's try that. So they try. They go to the Casa Rosada, which is the pink house in South America. They have more flair. It's not the White House. It's the pink house. So they go to the pink house, right? And they only get to see like a minister at the, and they're talking, and it's not really going anywhere. And then the secretary of one of the ministers walks into the room, and he walks in like this. And uh, Brother Hicks looks at him and says, hey, what's up with your leg? Can I, can I pray for it? To which the secretary turns around and says, my man, if Jesus himself were here, he would not be able to fix this leg. <laughs> I mean, you know, Jesus loves a challenge. <laughs> He gets instantly healed. They usher him straight to the president's office. He walks into the president's office, and the president meets and talks with him, finds out the president's actually got a skin disorder, prays for the president, the president's instantly healed. From that moment on, the president says to him, you've got the radio station, what what else do you want? You want a stadium? I'll give you the biggest stadium you want. The stadium then gets packed out for night after night for months. In that period of time, Hundreds of thousands gave their lives to Jesus. They reached almost six million people in that crusade. And there were incredible miracles breaking out all over that stadium. In fact, the stadium that they went to was 110,000-seater, which is bigger than Ellis Park. I mean, mean, sorry, bigger than FMB Stadium, which is 94,000, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the magnitude. And that was packed out every single night with decisions for Jesus. From that moment onwards, the nation of Argentina has never been the same again. 
the gospel broke out, churches started getting planted, missionaries were called, books were written, Christian radio stations were pl- started, um, books were released that changed the nation. There was, there was incredible things, transformation of society started taking place, the church came alive. People, I want you to know that what happened in Argentina has happened in every corner of the world. It's happened in Pyongyang, in Korea. It happened in Silkat, in India. It happened in Mapamulo, KZN, the promised land. It's happened in Hernhat, in Germany. It happened in Wales, in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. It happened in Brownsville, in Florida. It happened in Azusa Street. What happened was revival. And how do we know what a revival is? Well, in my book, I define it as this. Revival is God coming near. It is the church coming alive and is the lost coming to Christ. That's how we know every single revival has these unmistakable identity markers to it. And this is what happened in the nation of Argentina. And today, my job is to whet your appetite for it to happen in the city of Johannesburg. So can we do it? Can you do me a favor? Can we just stand to our feet? If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 2. But let's pray before we open the Word this morning. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe, your plans for us are good. And everything good starts with your word. Your word is wilako, brings life, ukupila, healing, and direction. We treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert and our hearts are receptive. And we say, speak, Lord. Kuluma and Kosi. For your servants is in Tego, Yako, Silalele. We are listening. Amen. You're welcome to take your seats. <clears throat> you know, I find it of absolutely no coincidence that it was the city of. Yeah. You guys are awake. Come on. No coincidence that it was the city of that the revival broke out in first. Why is that? What is the city of Mendoza famous for? Winemaking. It is the winemaking capital of Argentina. It is the Stellenbosch, Paul, Franchuk that we have in South Africa. That is Mendoza in Argentina. Vineyards flowing with beautiful grapes turning into amazing wine. And it's interesting to me, why, Bill? Because in Scripture, what we see is an interesting link between the Holy Spirit and wine. Come on, let me remind you for a second. What happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out? 
the disciples were accused of being drunk. And Peter had to rise up and say, guys, this is a different kind of spirit. <laughs> in Ephesians chapter 5, it, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, guys, do not get drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, guys, the best party you can have is not a wine imbibing party. It's a Holy Spirit party. Jesus himself in Mark chapter 2 said, when you're speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he said, you can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. And here we are in John chapter 2. Are you in John chapter 2? Jesus is at a wedding and guess what? They run out of Look at that. For the sake of time, we're not going to read everything, but let's just focus in on verse 4, where Jesus, prior to this, he's there, and Mary comes running to him and says, Jesus, disaster. They've run out of wine. They've run out of wine. Guys, and just let me give you some context here, cultural context. This is a Jewish wedding. So you run out of wine. It's disaster. This is an absolute disaster. It's like, you know, in the South African context, it's like you had a shisa nyama and there's no more nyama. It's like, what is that? Just a shisa. Like, Andisi. What, what is this thing? <laughs> this is what's going on here, okay? You get an idea now, all right? You're in the zone. I can feel it. So Jesus, in verse 4, he says, Woman. What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder, what if Mary was a closer woman? Otinium twana. Hey. You know the comes before in Dizago Beds. Like this one doesn't count. There's still a, there's always another one. Baklovo. <laughs> I want to ask you this morning is Jesus really not bothered about this situation? Is he really not? Like, is he really, does, does he really not care about this impending disaster at this amazing wedding, about the embarrassment coming to the host? Does he really, is he really not interested? Has he really got no umdlangla for this, for this, you know? Or is his question to Mary an opportunity for us to learn something? What has this got to do with me. We need eyes to see what's going on here, people. And we need ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. You know, there's many times in Scripture where Jesus just does not seem to be bothered with the things that we really think he should be bothered about. Have you seen that in Scripture? You know, this is one time where, where this um, Gentile woman is trying to get to Jesus because her child is sick. And she keeps coming to him and like, you know, pestering his disciples. And his disciples keep saying, go away, go away. And, and she keeps coming. And eventually she gets audience with Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. <laughs> Woo! 
What an offensive statement. Or what a powerful statement. Remember, Jesus was a rabbi, and he never missed a moment to teach his disciples something. When he said those words, what he was doing was exposing the culture context, the prevailing opinion of those in the room who thought exactly like that. Gentiles are not included. They're not entitled. They're not as good as us. They're second rate. They don't have, they don't have access to the, the covenants and the blessings and the promises of God. And Jesus was exposing in the room the sentiment of the day in order to teach them a lesson. How do we know that? Because he then subsequently goes on and heals the child and praises the woman for what? Her great faith. Settling it for once in all his disciples' ears that this gospel is for everyone and this healing is for everyone. Lesson learned. And in this case, is Jesus really not bothered about the wine at the wedding? The fact that he goes on to turn water into wine, and not just any box wine from Chekas. <laughs> We're talking about the finest wine that they have ever tasted proves that Jesus is actually very interested in the wine being at this wedding. Why, 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 why? Jesus, why don't you turn the water into wine? You're not helping the church here. Yeah, the pastors in the house are crying. Why? Why this miracle? Well, remember, in Scripture, there's a link between the Holy Spirit and... Can we see what's going on here? The church is often called the bride of... And we're invited to the wedding with the Lamb, the wedding feast with the Lamb. And so here we are, we're at a wedding and there's the Holy Spirit, and there's Jesus, and we're seeing something bigger than what's actually like the first glance is what we're looking at here. And if you have been around church for any length of time, people, you would have noticed that there's times when there's wine and when there's no wine. And when there's no wine, it's a disaster. It's an absolute mess. Nothing good is happening. When there's no wine, there's no party in the church. There's no celebration. There's no joy. There's no repentance taking place. There's no baptisms taking place. There's no young guy addicted to drugs coming down to the altar, kneeling here with tears, weeping, giving his life to Jesus. There's no person in the back row getting healed while nobody's praying for them. There's no Muslims coming to Christ in my workplace while I'm having lunch with them. There's no missions going out, new campus plans happening. Listen, when there's no wine, things get boring in church. Man, it gets hard. It gets difficult. And guess what? We start to rub each other the wrong way. Our cultures, our ages, our generation gaps, they all start to irritate us and affect us. And then we start looking for places and spaces that are more like us or more in our little cocoon where I can't get so rubbed in the wrong way. What's missing? Wine. When the wine is there, it doesn't care what your color is. It doesn't care how old you are. You're my friend. You're my buddy. I love you. You love me. Let's do this thing, man. Let's take the world for Jesus. There's power. There's energy. There's this movement of God. There's wind in the sails. 
and we start to go further and do so much more than what we could ever imagine. Was Jesus really not interested? Or was he waiting to see who actually was interested? Was he not waiting for the Marys to arise? Those who are in the church, those who are walking around in the city of Johannesburg going, this is not how it should be. This is, this is not kingdom of God on earth. The state of our economy, the state of this neighborhood, the state of my family, this is just not how it's, it's, it's meant to be. There's something missing here. There are, where are the Marys who know the value of the Holy Spirit? who know the power of the Holy Spirit, who know that it's not in might, it's not in power, but it is by, by the Spirit of the living God. Saints, I want you to know this morning that it's not in our smarts, it's not in our energy, it's not in our, our intellectual ability, it's not even in our tools and systems and structures that the power of church happens. It's in the Spirit and by the Spirit of God. And unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain and there's something inside of us that needs to understand where the power is coming from. Who really has the power? We're living in a time where people are worshiping preachers, the MOG, the man of God. We are worked in a time where we are worshiping worship music. We're, we're worshiping our church buildings. And, the, and we think it's in, it's, in, it's in this person. We think it's in this band. We think it's in this building. We think it's somewhere else. I want you to know it's in the living God. It's in the Spirit of God. And it's by the Spirit of God. Church, we need to wake up and recognize where the power of the church is. We need to get a new appreciation for the power of the Holy Spirit. Something inside of us needs to flip that says, you know what, I can't do it in my own strength. I can't run this business. I can't see my family saved. I can't do anything unless the Holy Spirit comes. Listen, I want you to know, I know today there's nothing good about me but the fact that God put His Spirit inside of me. There's nothing good about Wayne. If there's anything good coming out of me, I want you to know it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, if there's anything good happening in Rosebank Church, I want you to know where should the glory go? It should go to the Holy Spirit because He's the one. He's the wine. He's the one who's making it work. He's the one who's ripping us up. He's the one who's giving us visions and kingdom principles. He's the one who's got that small, small voice guiding you in your family. He's the one telling you to buy, sell, rent, do what this now. He's the one telling you to go over there. It's the work off the Holy Spirit. We need a new, a new appreciation. We need to like recognize the value of the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize this. I believe we're living in a time, man, where we need a fresh appreciation, a fresh honor for the Spirit of the living God. Let me show you a picture this morning. He has two, two rowing or sailing. And let me ask you, which one would you rather do? I know the older black people are like, neither, bro. <laughs> Keep them both. <laughs> we can joke, eh? We can joke. <laughs> Which one would you rather do? That rowing looks like a lot of effort. Let me ask you, can you row around the world? No, you can't. Can you sail around the world? Yes, you can. This is the difference between a spirit-empowered church 
and a works-empowered church. Let that sink in, guys. What do you want to do? Do you want to do it in your strength? Because what I find with Jesus is like he lets us go, and then we burn out and get broken and get no results. And we come back and we go, okay, how do you want to do it now? And he says, I'm going to do it by my spirit, by my spirit, by my spirit. Rosebank, we want to be a spirit-empowered church, a church that highly values the Holy Spirit, a church that understands that nothing good is going to happen unless the Spirit of God builds the house. Sidlow Baxter said the following. He said, I've pastored only three churches in my more than 60 years of ministry. We had revival in every one, and not one of them came as a result of my preaching. They came as a result of the membership entering into a covenant to pray until revival come, came, and it did come every time. You've got a week of prayer and fasting coming up. I want you to know it's not about your comfort. It's about the city. It's about the city. Look at somebody and say, it's about the city. We exist for those who are outside these walls. We exist for the building of cities and the transforming of nations. But let's not ever think we're going to do it with a talented few individuals. We're going to do it by the Spirit of God. I believe we're at a pivotal moment in history. And I think that there's something more going on in this wedding at Cana that hints towards end-time revival. It's an interesting moment in this wedding when they start tasting the wine that the master of ceremonies says, he tastes the wine, and he says, wow, every person keeps the finest wine for the beginning. And then once everybody's drunk, they bring out the cheap stuff. (laughs) The checkout stuff. (laughs) But you have kept the best for last. How many of you have, have read the book of Acts and go, oh, Jesus, can we not just do that again? Hey, come on. Isn't it just so inspiring? It's just so... Saints, I want you to know this morning that he saves the best for for last. We're living in the last days today. I want to give this scripture to you. Can we stand to our feet? Zechariah 10, verse 1, and I want us just to read it together. Can we do that? One, two, three. This scripture, I really believe, (laughs) Satan doesn't want you to know this scripture. When we took this scripture and and preached it over the city of Durban, all hell broke loose. My best friend got taken, worship leader got taken, war broke out when we took that scripture and we lifted it up over the city. 
Why? Well, I believe it's the word of the Lord for now. Why? Because we're living in the time of the latter rain. Saints, I want you to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and the seasons we're living in. Don't let the sleepiness of this world system grip you and conform you to its pattern. Don't allow the sleepiness of this age to distract you from what's the most pressing thing for the church to be doing right now. This is the most pressing thing for the church to be doing right now. If you take Israel and you look at their rain seasons, what they have is they have a former rain and then they have a latter rain. And in between, they have scattered rains. The former rain, what it does is it softens the ground. They can plant the seed and the crop begins to grow. Then all these scattered rains come throughout the winter months and they feed the crop and the harvest starts to grow and get stronger and bigger. And then there's this significant moment at the end where there's this latter rain, this outpouring that comes from heaven that ripens the crop unto harvest and the harvesters can go in and and harvest. Could it be that Israel's rain seasons, when you put them into the New Testament realities, is a picture of the church age that we're living out now? If you take history and you look at the last 2,000 years, you're going to see some incredible things. You'll notice that in Acts chapter 2, the church starts with what? A former rain. The Holy Spirit. Nothing happens. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait. Tarry. Until you are closed with, until that mighty rushing wind comes. And then what happened? Harvest started. Harvest to nations started. And it wasn't just in Jerusalem in that upper room. It was in Cornelius' house. It was in Antioch. It was in Ephesus. It was in Philippi. It, the, the, we read about the book of Acts. What we're reading is the former rain. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And then since that time ended to now, what we've had is scattered revivals, scattered rains all over the world in different places. They've broken open the ground. They've created harvest fields that are still blooming to this day. But that leads us to ask the question, could we be in a time where there's going to be a ladder rain, a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to ripen the crop unto harvest before Jesus comes back? Well, a good sign, if we want to be like detective about it, a good sign is to look at the state of the harvest to know when the rains are coming. And I want you to know right now, if you just look at the earth today, what you will see is three billion people who are classified as unreached. They have no chance of hearing about Jesus all the gospel because there's no church in their culture, language able to extend it to them. Three billion people. And that excludes Johannesburg because Johannesburg is classified as a rich city. And you know how many lost people are still around here. Saints, can you see it? Lift up your eyes. The harvest fields are ripe. Don't say it's still four months. Don't say it's still four months. They ripe right now. Right now on earth is the biggest harvest field the earth has ever seen before. Could it be that we're in the time 
of the latter rain? Could that be the season? Could it be the time where Marys need to step into the gap and realize that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it is by the Spirit of God, and they begin to compel Jesus for the new wine. If you've been around church, you'll know there's wine and then there's no wine, and that's an important time before there's new wine. The time of no wine, we've got to recognize, okay, we need wine. And we need to step into that role as intercessors. We need to step into that role as Marys. And we need to start compelling Jesus for the new wine. And He wants to because if there's no rain, there's no harvest. So what do we need to do in these times, in the latter days? Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. And He'll make flashing clouds. He'll give them showers of rain. Harvest, grass, harvest for everyone. You know, I looked at our, our Durban church and I mapped where all the churches are around us. And I worked out, based on the number of churches around just us and the amount of people living in that area, that every church, including ours, would need to be a church of 5,000 people in order to catch the harvest in our city. Every church would need to be that. Greater things does he want to do here at Rosebank. Don't, get com- don't, don't think this is it. Don't think you've arrived. There's, there's more churches to be planted. There's more harvest to be reaped in this city. There's more things to be done. There's greater days are still to come. I want you to know you've had wine. You've got wine. But there's more. The best is still to come. The best is still to come. The greatest days of this church are still ahead. Greatest days are still ahead. There's so much more the Lord wants to do in this hour. But there's a responsibility on us. And what is that responsibility? To ask the Lord for rain. James 4 says, you are, you have not because you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who to those who ask. I just want to release over you this morning a big ask. Come on, saints, let's realize that the greatest gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's repent this morning for thinking that we could do it in our own strength. Let's repent this morning for not even noticing the harvest around us. Let's repent for being complacent, for where we think, you know, this is it, we've arrived. Let's repent this morning and say, Lord, we recognize this morning the awesome power and the brilliance and the glory. The best gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we cry out this morning. Come on, let's cry out this morning. We cry out for fresh winds, for fresh rains. We step into the gap like Mary's this morning and we say, come rain on us. Come rain on the city. Come rain on us. Come rain on our connect groups and our neighbourhoods. Come rain on the city. We ask You, Lord, with full understanding this morning for rain, the rain of Your Holy Spirit to come and flood these lands 
For Lord, we want to see the lust coming in. We want to see people getting delivered and healed and set free. And we know it's not in our ability, but it is by the power of Your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we honour You. We recognise You this morning. We give You Your place in the church. We bless You this morning. We say, come Holy Spirit, flood us, flood us, flood us, flood this church. Flood every meeting, flood every location. Flood our hearts, flood our minds. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We recognise You. We value You. I wonder if we can wrap this morning by just finding our way to our knees and praying the revival prayer. And you can just Pray it after me if you're able to find your knees. Let's find our knees. And you can just repeat after me. Lord, I bow my heart and I bend my knee. Send revival and start with me. Pour out your spirit in an unprecedented way. May all who hear be saved today. May all who are saved proclaim the way. Lord, send revival and start with me.